Hello and welcome to another episode of Near Fidelity, where we have conversations about life, theology, the church, and the culture. My name is Derek Schmally, and I'm joined by most of our cast and crew, Matt Lee Anderson and Alistair Roberts. And and they're joining me for what is today our or actually our hundredth episode of Near Fidelity. Uh, that is shocking, that is astonishing that we have made it this far. Um, but the Lord is uh, the Lord works in mysterious and odd ways. So uh, here we are. Andrew sadly could not join us. One of the original cast members could not join us. He um, apparently is taking up liturgical dancing lessons to fit with his new book, You Charismatics, trying to go a little more blend liturgical. And so he just said he couldn't make it, um, couldn't miss these these lessons. So uh, he, he won't be here. So we'll try and answer some questions for him as well. Because today we're having a an ask, not an ask me anything, but like a basically a Q&A episode. You guys sent in some questions and we will do our best to answer them briefly and mildly intelligently. So there you go. That's our that's our show for the day. Guys, loudly? how are you feeling? Loudly? Mildly intelligently. Oh, mildly. Okay. I get it. I get it. There you go. There you go. Um, Alistair, are you feeling good? Yep. You ready for this? I am. Good. Good. <laughs> All right. First questions for you, for you, Alistair, actually. Um, one of our one of our listeners just asked one of the burning question. Doth Alistair partake in tea time? <laughs> Doth you? Um it may come as a surprise and disappointment to many of our listeners, but I don't actually usually drink tea. Um, oh. <laughs> I fail as an Englishman <laughs> what, in that what respect. Do you usually, what do you usually drink? Um, I usually only drink water. <laughs> oh my gosh, I know a weird one. Grad, I, was I knew one of you guys was the weird I didn't one. drink coffee either. I drink coffee occasionally when I meet up with oh, friends, man. but that's about it. Okay, Derek, surely you're not surprised by this, right? This is Alex <laughs> we're talking about. Of I, course he I only drinks I'm, water. I'm more surprised that I'm surprised. I think that I'm, I'm surprised at myself for being surprised at this. I shouldn't I, have been. I, I have to say, uh, I, I have guess. to say that, you know, this question came up on Derek's Facebook wall and uh, Jake Medor who runs mere orthodoxy uh, chimed in and said, why, you, you know, why would you give Matt an opportunity to talk about how he drinks way more tea than Alistair does? <laughs> and he nailed it because I have probably five or six cups a day. I import all of my tea from London. Um, I could discourse extensively on which teas are appropriate for um, which hours. And I, you know, I look, if you're a man and you think that drinking tea isn't, uh, a manly thing to do. I can only commend to you a Russian blend. Um, the Fortnum & Mason Russian blend is the best I've had, but uh, Taylor of Harrogate has also a, a very nice Russian blend. So, you know, like, we can do this. You you can drink <laughs> Gosh, tea. This is, the, um, the, this is the most Andersonian interjection here. I have thought about writing an essay someday on tea for men for like the art of manliness uh at some point because i think it's i think it's a a fitting drink for the male soul <laughs> i yeah i don't right now i mean I, i'll drink it from time to time but 
I, I usually drink like the the teas that are like for something like ah my throat is sore I will take this special throat sore tea and I'll drink that at night or something like that but otherwise I'm 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 mostly a coffee guy so. that's the worst reason to drink tea ever Derek congratulations well you know here's the thing I've tried other ones and I'm like oh maybe I'll get into tea and then I just say wow this is this is a really bad coffee substitute I can't, oh. can't do this <laughs> the and, then, and then and then and then I hear and then I hear and then I hear an, an eagle's cry in the background and I remember I remember the tea party <laughs> The Boston Tea Party and the birth of our nation. Um, so with that, let's move on to the next question. Um, next question will be... Uh, where are you it? making these up right now? You're, you are making them No, I'm not right making now, them up. I'm finding them, I'm finding them on our list. And I'm trying to remember which one <laughs> I wanted to go with next. Okay. What are your favorite works of fiction? There you go, Matt. Alistair, throw it Alistair, out there. Favorite Alistair, do you read fiction? Um, unfortunately, at the moment, I don't get time to read much fiction, but um, I do like fiction when I do read it. Um, I'm trying to think. I mean, there Historically, are certain, do you have any favorites? There are certain books that stay with me, um, from have stayed with me from childhood. So... Even though they're childhood books, they're books that have cast a sort of long shadow of my life. So things like the Narnia series or something like um, The Wind in the Willows. But more recently, things I've enjoyed have been in the last year or so have been things like Christian Laveran's Data, which I think is a fantastic book. Um, everyone should read that. Yeah, Kristen Lavender right. is a is a terrific book. I I concur with the judgment that everyone should read it. We should do a, a show on it at some point. Um, the it, it's it's hard for me to pick as just one. Um, the Brothers K has to be on the list somewhere mm-hmm. um, for me. Um, the Brothers I, K when, or the Brothers about, Karamazov. Sorry, the Brothers Karamazov. Yeah, um, I know there's, that is a fantastic. There's book. the contemporary. Um, that's gotta be somewhere on the list. I, uh, I absolutely love it to pieces. I don't know if, um, when I think about fiction, I, I tend to think more in terms of writers. So, uh, Dickens, um, between the brothers Karamazov and Dickens. And if I had to choose a Dickens, it'd have to be bleak house. Um, I could be content for the rest of my life. Um, I've, I've spent a lot of time actually the last two or three years reading Victorian, uh, literature and um, that's been it's been charming I there's there's a lot of a lot of really good literature out there um, but I think I think Bleak House is probably the best that I've read hmm. uh, of, of Dickens um, for myself you know there's there's the lit that you have to read and then the lit that you pick up um, I can name some of the same ones I mean uh, you know Brothers, Brothers Karamazov I took an entire class in college on um, my writing class on philosophy and it was, it was on the nature of lying and um, and we read that book and we discussed it for three or four weeks and it was phenomenal. Um, beyond that though, a couple of the, one, one couple, couple kid series that stuck with me ever since I read them, um, uh, the Chronicles of Pridane by Lloyd Alexander. He's not as well known as, you know, 
Chronicles of Narnia and, and uh, Lewis and all that. But um, oh, Disney made an awful, awful adaptation of two of the books into one single movie, The Black Cauldron. Um, but those 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 books are just uh, just a wonderful, wonderful little uh, children's young adult fantasy series. The other one was uh, a series by T.A. Barron. Um, uh, starting off with the book the, La the Lost Years of Merlin and uh, he spun out a number of wonderful kind of coming of age magical novels whatever that, I, that stuck with me from when I was a kid uh, Hamlet Hamlet uh, when I read that in, when I read that in high school that man I don't know why that one uh, that one just stuck with me uh, the, 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 the conflicts the struggles his, his back and forth uh, I just Hamlet got me. I don't know that one. That one got me, and then, and then I'll just throw out Catch Twenty Two by Joseph Heller. Catch Twenty Two was one of the funniest novels. Um, I just remember sitting there just laughing out loud at the absurdities, and then just how how brilliant it was in terms of social critique. Um, were, more, what were you an emo kid in high school? <laughs> me no, um, no, no, no. I, I did you have lots of I existential angst? I did. I did have. I did have angst. I just wasn't an emo kid. I like the the whole the whole. Um, I mean, you always hear "to be or not to be." That is a question. Oh, oh man, famous quote. And then and then you listen to that. And then you listen to the speech. I'm like, oh man, I get this guy. This guy Ham has choice paralysis. Oh man, this guy has choice paralysis. Hamlet I have choice like, paralysis. Like Hamlet's the one play I would never want a high schooler to read because they'd sit there and be like, oh. yeah, my struggles are so deep. You know, I'm so profound. Uh, and I just, yeah. I, I loved it. I loved it. I'm just saying this with me. And now, now my struggles are deep and profound. Now that I'm a 30 year old man full of, full of years, full of years. All right. So those are a few. Um, next question. Next question. Um, another Alistair one, just because those are really funny. Uh, what's the longest blog post Alistair has written to date? <laughs> I've written a couple of blog posts over twelve thousand words. Um, really, that's it. Trying to think, I, I don't think I've written anything no over 15? thirteen thousand words. I've written multiple oh. part blog posts that um, run to, I think, I think the longest I've had multiple part was probably about thirty thousand words. But I have done a series that's run to eighty thousand words. There we Which go. That sounds that sounds more appropriate. Um, one one more in that kind of range. Um, what is your favorite hymn or Christian song, and why? The favorites are, are really when you guys ask these questions. I, I I hope you listeners know how awful they are. Truly awful to try and rack your brain for what. What is your favorite? I mean, I get it. It's a, if, when you can hear it. When somebody can nail that, then it's it's fascinating to hear why. But but really trying to nail trying to narrow that down. Yeah. Anyways, guys, Matt, you go first. Well, Alistair went first last time. It's. It's hard for me to top crown him with many crowns. Um, uh, played straight, you know, sung vigorously. Um, and, you know, crown him with many crowns is one of those hymns where you never know 
um, as you go from church to church, which of the verses you're going to get, uh, because I think there are like 18 of them out there, uh, but they're all good. Um, but if your church, uh, if your church includes the, uh, um, creator of the rolling spheres, ineffably sublime verse, uh, you win, you win all the prizes. Mm -hmm. Um, for whatever reason, I just love, I love the poetry of it. I love the, uh, the tenor and the cadence of it. Um, creator of the rolling spheres, ineffably sublime. And when, when else in, in worship do you get to say those two words together? Ineffably sublime. Um, so I, as, as, as sort of, uh, the, as hymns go, the, the magisterial hymns I think are, uh, some of my favorites. And of those, there's, there's none, none that, that, uh, is as profound or as deep as, as that one. Alistair. Uh, yeah, it's a tough one to answer. I mean, same as with the question about favorite fiction there are so many things to choose from but for me the one that comes to mind at the moment is probably saint patrick's breastplate i love that hymn um there are i've never actually heard it sung i've heard it recited i've never heard it sung as a hymn it can be sung with a number of different tunes and yeah it's words change depending on the hymnal you're using quite considerably but yeah, I really yes, because it's not originally That's fascinating. it's okay. trans it's translated from an Irish text, an old Irish text, so it's not originally in English. Um, yeah, I've found it to be a hymn that I used to sing it myself or recite it every morning um, before I started the day. And I found it a very good hymn of preparing yourself for the various struggles of the day, for um, the idea of binding to yourself all of these truths of God's character, of God's action, of God's presence within the world in Christ, um, of his work against all the struggles that we may face from the opposition of the devil. And there's a very strong sense of the reality of um, Satan's opposition within that hymn, something that you don't see so often in, um, in certain hymns today. I think also there's the sense of preparation, deep Trinitarianism, um, this almost military putting on of your garments in preparation for battle, and also an intense appreciation of God's presence throughout the whole of life. I mean, the the statements about um, Christ's presence, Christ with me, Christ before me, behind me, within me, beneath me, above me, at my right, left, all these different ways in which Christ is present in our lives and calling upon him to be um, present and active in our life is... Yeah, I find it a very powerful prayer, and also it can be a very stirring hymn when sung. Yeah. No, it's it's interesting. When it comes to hymns, I, I'm late to the game by many, many years. I did not grow up with hymns, um, more contemporary stuff, and then, and then 
my last church we sung a lot more and then and then this new one that i'm at we we sing way more than i even got to because i was mostly relegated to the contemporary service being the young adult pastor uh young adult guy um but so i feel like there's this all this uncharted territory that you know every couple weeks i hear another new one I'm like, oh that one's fantastic too oh that one's fantastic too and so there's just this rich wealth that i'm still exploring um so that's it's hard for me to narrow uh you know, a couple of favorites before the throne of God above um, just has a foundation, just a fantastic meditation on Christ's priestly work. And um, but one that uh, this year I I say this year has gotten me a number of times was uh, is how firm a foundation. And um, there's just so many fantastic lines in this one, and it, it's it's. I think just with some of the uncertainty that and some of the just the instability of last year, major transitions, um, hearing uh, the fact that it's it's so much of it sounds like I mean it's God's direct speech to you, um, you know, fear not, I am with thee, oh be not dismayed, for I am thy God and will still give thee aid. I'll strengthen and help thee and cause thee to stand upheld by my righteous omnipotent hand. And there's just this very direct address that I love where um, God is just speaking tenderly to his people and saying, um, I- I'm, I'm unchangeable. I will, I'll count all the, all the hairs on your head. And I, I've, 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 I have you, I, I'm, I'm purifying you. I'm strengthening you, but you won't, you know, you won't be put to shame. You have a firm foundation in 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 in, in my word, uh, and so that that um, security in Christ and that security from just just the just sometimes the 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 blunt assertion that I am God and I will take care of you and that is that is all you need to know. Um, set beautifully, I think uh, that that one has just been a been a deep comfort this year so how firm a foundation can i also say so, that i love christmas um, hymns and carols in part yes as christmas a result of their familiarity people haven't updated the lyrics for the most part so you have the deep rich mm-hmm. poetry of the older songs they can be sung with gusto because everyone knows them and um, for the most part they have deep truth about um god coming in the flesh in christ and there's something They're strikingly trinitarian yes and there's something so i don't know there's a theological richness that you don't find in many modern in many modern hymns and i think yeah yeah everything about them they're um, redolent of that particular so, period of the year yes i i love carols and christmas hymns yeah Agree. Um, I want to switch switch gears here. Somebody asked um, our friend Keith Miller asked, "Did any of you read Hillbilly Elegy? And did you find Vance's story at all explanatory of why Backrow kids, to use Chris Arnade's phrase, shifted to Trump? Do you think that lefties are right to dismiss Vance as peddling a modern day Horatio Alger myth?" So. You can answer some of that, all of that, or just just the beginning. Uh, to Hillbilly Elegy, Matt, did you did you read it? I did read it. You um, did read it. What did you think? What, what were your thoughts on that book? 
Well, it was the it book of 2016. It, it, uh, it yeah, was, it was like the uh, the reader's guide like to book. Donald Trump's supporters uh, was how it got positioned uh, very early on, and that that launched it into a, a I think a surprised bestseller. Um, I don't think anyone expected it to to take off in quite the way that it did, uh, and so his timing was pretty impeccable. Um, you know, it's 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 a great book. I you know I don't mean to say that to diminish it. Um, but a lot of great books get lost in um, the the mass of the many books that get published, and his his struck a chord yeah. and was the right book for the time. Um, I I mean I I think it is explanatory. I I think it does uh, provide context for uh, what happened in the last year in a way that. Um, other approaches did not. Um, I'm. I think I'm less enthusiastic about it than some, um, and I don't. I haven't quite figured out why. Uh, it could just be a sort of instinctive contrarianism. Everyone is praising this book to the highest. <laughs> That's just you know, possible, yeah. you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> I never ever suffer from that sort of contrarianism in any realm of my life though. So that would be very weird if that was what was motivating me. Um, but I do, I do. Yeah. I do think that uh, it was, yeah, I think it's, it's literary qualities were overplayed. Um, it, it did not strike me as, uh, written as as movingly or as stirringly as uh, it was praised as, and I think that's part of my part of my hesitancy about it. It's very clear, it's very readable, it's very engaging and enjoyable, um, but it's not the, the the prose didn't sing to me. Um, so yeah, so I think I think from that standpoint, it was it was oversold. Yeah, I so I actually I I just read it this last week. I read it over the weekend uh, of the this of this week that we're recording in. So I right before the semester, I'm like, all right, everybody talked about it. Kind of curious. All right. What was funny is I read it after. Um, I I really enjoyed it. Um, read through it quick. Uh, I I just found myself going back wanting to wanting to find out what was next. So I thought you know on literary quality. What it didn't sing, but it but it clipped. It clipped along well, and he draw he draws you in um, with just this the clear, straightforward um, narrative, and and he hooks. The the emotional hooks are not are not, are not as as much literary as just just timing and and a well told story. Um, but. I read it, and it was interesting because I read it after this this last semester. I read, I'd read both. I read Yuval Levin's *The Fractured Republic*, which we hope to talk talk about in the future, and then also especially Charles Murray's *Coming Apart*, where he talks about the basically the, the massive difference difference in in, in classes that's that's um, uh, developed over the last 30, 40, 50 years in in the states. And in light of that, that was really interesting. It kind of it kind of put um, it put a human face and a story to the the uh, mass of some of the some of the sociology that I've been reading this year. Well, not mass of sociology for me a lot 
uh, in terms of what does it mean when when people talk about plummeting um, marriage rates or uh, education rates or uh, even just the differences in diet and um, basic certain basic habits that you know uh, being raised in a, in, in a in a middle to upper middle class family that you kind of just take for granted and uh, that culturally what difference there is there and so um, it was it, it, it was it was kind of eye-opening it was eye-opening in a lot of ways uh, for me so I as, as for as for as for how it explains the Trump vote I think probably explains some of it you know the the Rust Belt vote um, I don't think it explains all of it I mean there's I don't know there there's plenty of there's plenty of put it this way there was plenty of Trump votes in in uh, in Orange County in the suburb that I grew up in uh, and and people there you know they, they don't they don't feed their kids you know Mountain Dew they 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 own small businesses they're they send their kids to you know top top colleges so it it, it wasn't the whole of it by a long shot but I think opening opening up like why certain like rust belt states might have swung or some of the um some of the issue of elitism and, and the cultural gap and and um some of the polarization that's happening in our in our society with some the, you know more cosmopolitan set versus some of the more uh, rural and um rust belt or midwestern or whatever mindset that 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 was illuminating to me so i mean um, here's 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 what i really liked about it americans don't tend to think very much about class and the way in which cl- class structures how people see the world and vance's book uh really dug that up and demonstrated it very clearly i mean partly i i didn't find it i think as uh, revelatory as a lot of people in part because um that was some of my history. I remember the first time I encountered the fizzy water um, when I was uh, studying abroad and went to dinner in the hall in Oxford, and they had two waters there, and, you know, everyone's sort of dressed up and uh, doing the whole Oxford thing, and two waters there, and I poured the wrong one and thought, this is horrible. What is this? Um, uh, And so there are things like that where... um, uh, because because uh, because I um, yeah, partly dated a girl in college who was sort of outside of my class. Um, I was very sensitive to class dynamics uh, for a long time uh, before this. So I think I think some of my instinctive hesitation about the book or my skepticism uh, is is tied to just that. It's 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 in some ways my story. Hmm. Yeah, so I mean, and I think for a lot of people, the I think for a lot of people reading it, the um, the chapters where he where he reaches Yale are weird uh, for like even people who maybe grew up middle and upper upper middle, and they're not they're not um, they're not living some kind of crazy life uh, that he describes, and that's just still kind of that class differential is weird. I think what's what's more interesting. Um, for me was just the the difference between basically like the average suburban family that I knew. I mean, I knew plenty of kids whose parents were divorced, but, um, I, I, 
it, w it would have been a weird thing for us to regularly hear people screaming and yelling in the streets or um, just some of the some of the difference in the, in the shame honor kind of um, uh, Scotch Irish culture that he's describing and or you know Appalachian culture and a lot of those kinds of things um, where that is just you can have people at like not that crazy different economic status and and at the same time culturally very 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 distant so um that part i think that part was more surprising uh and and i guess illuminating not in the sense i mean it, it's the kind of thing where i've been reading enough that i know that that's real and i know a lot of facts but the fact it just put a narrative, put narrative flesh on it so um as for whether or not Vance is peddling the modern day Horatio Alger myth. Um, I'm I'm kind of always for both and analysis. I think I think he's got a. It seems like he's got a point when it comes to um, the. I mean, he's on the inside. I'm not there, but the the point that one of the points that he made that was most interesting was just the fact of of agency, just the sense that you can do. Things. you can you can um, have discipline you can uh, set yourself a goal and you know work and save and move forward a bit um, there are I think there are structural inequalities that make that way harder for some people than you know in, in certain classes but I also think that believing that, can can really hinder and, and limit you. I just think, you know, I, I made me think of theologically. Um, there was a, there was a time in my in my thinking and even my preaching where, you know, you you can talk about the way the cross, you know, shows you that your 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 obedience is. There's a. I just thought of a an analogy in sanctification where where if you if you think okay, you know what, um, my obedience isn't enough to save me. It's not enough to earn. It's, you know, I, I'm, I'm depraved, etc. And you take, you know, that, that half of things and you just kind of focus on that. That's kind of a, it's a recipe for, um, spiritual defeatism. But then the, the flip side is that when you, when you start to realize, okay, I can't earn, but that said, I have been given the Holy spirit of God and he is regenerate. I've been regenerated. And he is empowering me, and I I can actually start to obey. I can actually start to and and actually knowing that knowing certain truths, having a sense of you know spirit graced um, agency does something. I mean, I I've sensed it. I when that when that when I realized that in my own spiritual life, and so thinking you know if you if you've got an entire culture where it's reinforced that it doesn't matter what you do, you're not going to get ahead. You don't have to deny structural, I don't think you have to deny structural inequalities or, or some of those broader social angles to, to admit that that's part of the equation, that, that there, are, there are, are, that mindset is part of what needs to be overcome. Um, and and some, of, some, of the, some of those other related issues that he, that he touches on. So, um, yeah, I... I that's that's my long ramble at that point. Matt or Alistair? 
I'm just in awe that you took uh, Jimmy Vance's book and turned it into a sermon that way. That's that's really well done. Only only you, Derek. I haven't I haven't actually um, read the book, but that doesn't stop me from having opinions on it because I've read so many takes on the book. Please do have an opinion. Have read the book, Alistair. Crack it. No, I think there are, I think there are a number of interesting things about it that it's giving a certain narrative focus to statistics and more abstract descriptions of people's situation can be very helpful in encouraging just a greater sense of um i suppose moral sympathy with people's situation and understanding some of the difficulties Mm. that must be addressed on the other hand i'm minded of many of the things that you mentioned derek um i was rereading um, Oliver O'Donovan's Self, World and Time recently, and he talks about the danger of narrativism, the focus upon the individual story and the agent as defined by that story, and talking about the way that some people can almost wear their story like a mourning cloth that explains all the carryings on of the eye, but doesn't really, is a sort of alibi for, their act, for the actual art of living. Um, people don't actually live, they're just using their the facts of their situation as an excuse not to. Um, And in those sorts of situations, I think it's interesting that you have this narrative and this, this account that's provoked a lot of um, thought and empathy for people in these situations and appropriately. Um, On the other hand, these similar sorts of stories have been told before um, about other sorts of communities um, not least communities of different races that haven't provoked the same degree of empathy. And I think that's worth asking questions about. Um, is there something about yeah. this particular community that um, we're discriminating between um, these different stories from coming from different quarters? I mean, if this were told about um, a particular immigrant community or um community of a different race would we be reacting to it in the same way and i think that's a a question that i've not seen explored enough um but thinking about it that way maybe it can be a helpful bridge to thinking about these other cases where these stories that haven't been given the the same attention because they haven't come from groups that maybe we felt an instinctive identity with or affinity with that we should extend the same empathy to them too um, so it can be helpful in that respect, but I think we need to be careful how we handle these things in many different ways. But it is a helpful window into the world that produces um, certain attitudes and ways of looking at the world that are supportive of someone like Donald Trump. I tried to express this in an article about a year ago, um, and yeah. what I've read since then has really um, helped to clarify um, that perspective I had, and I think confirm it in certain yeah. respects too. Yeah, I, I thought about that article while I was reading Vance's book, and I thought, okay, I'll, Alistair put in in you know analytical prose a lot of what he's he's putting in in narrative um, explanatory form. That when you when you mentioned the narrative thing, the, the book that I read last year, um, early in the year, that was a similar experience. Uh, but very different was was uh, Tanahisi Coates be, between the world and me. Um, they they're kind of they're kind of um, uh, this bad. Uh, the, in many ways they're, they're they're black and white versions. 
uh, in of the same kind of let me tell you a story of my life and tell you what's going on in my world and give some analysis drawn out of my life um, from that. Very different experiences, although um, some overlaps, but but that that same and then it actually got a lot of the same kind of some of the same kind of phrase in different sectors and the same kind of um, prophetic status. But they, like you said, there there are there were there were a lot of eye-opening benefits. But um, there's also just the the danger of of making that one story the defining one um, that is your is your grid for the whole phenomena for the whole. Whether it's you know the 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 poor Appalachian experience or the or the black experience or uh, in America, so it, it's it, yeah, the, those those stories are powerful, uh, but I, it kind of makes you think. Okay, now I want to hear another one from the same area and how that turned out differently, and um, see see yeah, see where the overlap is or not. Um, yes, yes, mine turned into a different question. Go ahead. All right. Uh, really briefly, in this 500th year anniversary of the Reformation, which of the earlier formers do you each admire the most and why? Briefly. Matt? Alistair, who's your favorite reformer? <laughs> I, I asked you, Alistair. Calvin. I'm the host today. Um, yeah, I, right. I admire Calvin as... I admire the clarity of his theological mind, but also his, I suppose, particularly his commitment to the exegesis of Scripture. Um, he deals with Scripture with a balance and a care that is admirable. He doesn't just allow his theology to impose itself upon the text, but he's very sensitive to um, the text more generally. And I've found him... I found him to be a very helpful guide on many issues. Um, I constantly return to his work. Um, I reread the Institutes every couple of years or so. And, yeah, I've always found it to be rewarding. Yeah, my, my answer is the same. I mean, in part because I've spent the most time with Calvin. Um, I've spent a little time with Luther, not nearly as much as I should have, um, I haven't actually read my Zwingli because I'm not a historical theologian uh, and have not had time to, <laughs> to read him. Um, Ouch. <laughs> but, yeah, Zing. To take, sorry to Zwingli and all the Zwinglians out there. Uh, but Calvin, Calvin I love a great deal and I've read a fair amount of. Um, and, you know, for the, for similar reasons as Alistair. I, I also find um, Calvin just enormously uh, pious and devotional. Um, yeah. His, his mm -hmm. uh, you know, in certain translations, particularly the, the earlier translations uh, from a generation ago, um, you know, the, the prose comes across as um, uh, with a, a acutely sensitive to the kind of life of the spirit. Uh, that we have. Um, and There's I, a really and unfair that, that... sort of caricature of Calvin as a cold and austere figure, but there's a warmth to his theology and his piety that um, is underappreciated mm -hmm. by those who've never spent great time within it. 
Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. I mean, there are um, there are sections of Calvin that I uh, really strongly dislike. Um, I could do, I could do without. Uh, is it Book One, Chapter Seventeen, uh, on predestination and the rest of it? Uh, but but you know, I hit Book Three. Why do you cavil against these things? <laughs> Sorry, yeah, I know, I know, but but let's stay with what's positive. The book, book three, the opening of book three on the the two graces of uh, that we yeah, have in Christ. Yeah. I just, uh, that section is just extraordinary. Uh, absolutely love it. So um, yeah, Calvin, he's worth reading if if you haven't though. You know, probably most everyone knows who Derek is, and so has has subsequently read Calvin, right, Derek? Yeah, I mean, I feel bad. This question was kind of a setup for this. Um, <laughs> Calvin, for, Calvin, for the reasons all the guys have, have already said, uh, Luther is fantastic, though. He is fun. Um, and I'll put in a word for just uh, walking through his table talks, um, just because the table talks of Luther are, a lot, there's just a lot of bite-sized rambles. Um of Luther on various subjects that his, his students took while he was took down while they were sitting at his table and he was eating and drinking beer or whatever. Um, and there's just a lot of fun theology in there, uh, that, that preaches, but Calvin, no, I mean, just the, the breadth and the depth and the, the scriptural, um, heft of it when you're, I'll put in a word, uh, his commentaries when I'm preaching, um, oftentimes I'll, I'll look at, you know, I'll look at my text and I'll, then I'll also look at the, um, the, the, the critical commentaries and then when I need to get around to getting something to preach, <laughs> something, something actually pastoral and theological and spiritual, um, Calvin's commentaries rarely, rarely disappoint. So, um, and that la last semester I, I got to take a class on him with, uh, Dr. Dr. Manich here at Ted's and, um, got an appreciation for the pastoral side of his work. Um, and his book Calvin's Company of Pastors is actually a fantastic uh, piece of piece of reading, not just on Calvin, but the pastor in Geneva. Um, just an appreciation for the 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 task of the Reformation, not just being okay correcting doctrine, some some key doctrines, but um, but just as a renovation in a lot of ways of the pastorate and pastoral care, and uh, a lot of the crisis of the Reformation being. Um, how do we how do we make the church the church uh, and functioning in the way it's supposed to? So so understanding that 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 pastoral instinct in all of his theology as a reformer is um, one of the things that coming in ministry coming out of ministry it's huge for me. Um, last question maybe uh, I'm trying to skim through here. Fellas, did you have one that you were? Man, I really wanted to answer that. Um, essential church fathers for evangelicals to read and why? All of them. Okay. <laughs> I, 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 Matt, think, I think Nissa. Look, we're we're talking about um, reading uh, Augustine's Confessions later this year, and uh, as we did at the end of last year with Lewis's The Four Loves. So. Uh, forewarned or look forward to that. Um, I think Gregory uh, of Nyssa 
um, gets overlooked a lot of times, uh, but there's been a, a surge of interest in him in the second half of the 20th century among academic theologians. Um, but I don't see that it's trickled into that that interest has uh, found its way into the evangelical world. And I think that uh, Gregory of Nyssa uh, is worth spending time with. Um, yeah, that'd be who I'd commend. Hmm. Alistair? Um, yeah, I would agree with Matt that I suppose I'd encourage people to read the um, the father's broadly but yeah I have a soft spot for Irenaeus and I think more generally I've appreciated reading the father's treatment of scripture it can be frustrating on many occasions as you think that they're doing violence to the text but when you tarry with it for a while there's a certain perspective that they bring to scripture from which we can learn a lot in particular the way that they have a sense of scripture in its united testimony to the truth of Jesus Christ um and that's and their sense of the figural power of the text and its significance often people read someone like Oregon and think that he's just committed to an allegorical principle of exegesis but it's much more it's much more um christological than that his principle is um, founded upon reading scripture, the Old Testament, in the light of Christ. Um, now, he comes to weird readings. He often comes to deeply insightful readings, but there is a a principle there that I think the modern church has often lost, and I'd like to see it recovered. Um, so, yes, I think I'd encourage people to read the Fathers on Scripture um, and not dismiss them as quickly as we can be tempted to do. My reading in the Fathers sometimes feels sparse. Sometimes I've read more than I thought. Uh, But before now, I think my three favorites have been Irenaeus, Athanasius, and Augustine. Favorite being Augustine. But um, I just started reading a little bit more broadly because of a couple of classes, and on the Holy Spirit by Basil the Great. Um, Basil, he, that is a fantastic little work, and um, it's it's surprising. It's 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 very it's a surprising, uh, wonderful little treatment of just the nature of God, the Holy Spirit, His work. Um, there's a lot a lot of biblical theology in there. Um, really interesting uh, piece of work so um makes me want to read a little bit more basil uh so i'll I'll just throw him out there as somebody who's not talked about much and i'll specifically commend on the holy spirit by saint basil the great so yeah um do we want to make that our last question fellas um so we we could answer the one about mere christendom and two kingdoms (laughs) <laughs> no. oh no i no. think we'll have well, I think we'll a have show. a whole we'll probably have a whole episode on that <laughs> guys uh if, if you're a listener and you wrote in questions and we didn't get to yours the odds are that we thought it was such a good question it deserves its own show uh whereas the ones that we just answered well yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it means we thought we could answer them more quickly um so uh 
Guys, it wouldn't be a mere fidelity episode if we didn't subtly insult somebody's somebody's intelligence while lifting someone up. So, um, no, but really, if you've been listening to us uh, for however long, whether it's from episode one, which I'd be surprised, and or, or episode you know sixty one, and you've continued to listen for us, we're we're immensely grateful. Uh, thank you for uh, listening. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for the support uh and we hope to continue to do this and continue to have um just helpful conversations if you have ideas or requests you know feel free to email us that's it's always we always like hearing good uh listener requests most of the time our listeners have better show ideas than we do um so we, we love the feedback uh but fellas anything else I know that everyone's going to be disappointed that Andrew can't join us, but I'm hoping that our sound guy is going yeah, to edit well, in ambient Andrew noises throughout the show. We, yeah, we, we might. Yeah, we talked. We talked about just playing, um, finding his laugh, and just playing that at random points. At a random moment, the show. Yeah. We decided <laughs> against it because you know we care about you as listeners. Yeah. Um, so, in, if, if so. you think about it, um, pray for his Eucharistic liturgical dancing. And uh, we'll, we'll hope you we can, get a video you, of that out. You charismatic. You charismatic. You charismatic. charismatic sorry, you charismatic. Dancing. There we go. Um, and with that, we'll wrap it up uh, and and say good day for now. Thank you.